Hi there. Welcome to the MindRam Podcast. I'm your host, Michael C. Patterson. In this episode of the Mind Over Muddle series, I will continue to explore why our brains get muddled in the first place and what we can do to get them unmuddled and, in so doing, enhance our quality of life as we age. In this episode, I'm going to approach this question from the perspective of emotional regulation. Let me take a moment to put this into context with the overall Mind Over Muddle series. The thesis I'm exploring and developing is that we have multiple minds that coexist within us. Each mind has its own unique way of interpreting reality. Most obviously, our left and right hemispheres support very different ways of interpreting what's going on. When integrated, these multiple perspectives enrich our understanding and appreciation of our existence. We feel happier and more at peace with ourselves. When this integration fails, however, when our minds start disagreeing with each other and arguing, well, then we get muddled. Our goal, therefore is to figure out how to get our multiple minds to coexist peacefully and to give the upper hand to the states of mind that make us happy and loving and compassionate. As I said in this episode, I want to begin exploring the important role our emotions play in determining our happiness, or conversely, in muddling our multiple minds. I'll introduce a useful concept called emotional granularity, and speak to the importance of the emotion of awe. This podcast is based on, a, in part at least, on an article I wrote for Third Act magazine a couple of years ago. So, my wife Judith and I recently completed our first real vacation in years. It was a road trip that took us from Los Angeles across the Mojave Desert through southern Arizona and Utah, and into western Colorado. Our primary goal was to visit Zion National Park, and then to spend some time with close family friends in the charming little town of Paonia, Colorado. Over 12 days, we drove and hiked through some of the most spectacular geological wonders to be found on planet Earth. It was awesome. The drive in California includes long stretches through the Mojave Desert, which is spectacular in its own way, but is much the same mile after mile. So to amuse myself and to avoid being mesmerized by the Mojave while driving, I told Judith about an interesting concept I had just learned called emotional granularity. The term and practice were developed by psychologist and neuroscientist Lisa Feldman Barrett. She has a great book called How Emotions Are Made, The Secret Life of the Brain. As the title suggests, Dr. Barrett argues that emotions are learned, they're constructed. She further argues that most of us have only learned to construct the most elementary of emotions, like happy, sad, angry. We are, in other words, emotional illiterates. Our emotional vocabulary is extremely limited, and consequently, our ability to understand and express emotions is very limited. Dr. Barrett's groundbreaking work encourages all of us to enhance our emotional intelligence by expanding our emotional vocabulary. The more ways we have to describe subtle differences in emotions, 
the more ways we can learn to express ourselves, and the better we can interpret the feelings of others. Rather than experience our spouse as being simply mad, for example, we might ask politely if he or she is irritated. Are you annoyed, miffed, injured, affronted, appalled, disgusted, irate, outraged, furious, or ballistic? The answer, obviously, will help us determine whether to fight, flee, or freeze. It's clear to me that I need to enhance my own emotional literacy and have started researching lists of emotion words. Some of the most interesting lists include foreign words that have no real equivalence in English, such as the German word schadenfreude, which is the pleasure we feel at someone else's misfortune. <laughs> Another favorite is the Danish word hige. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. H-Y-G-G-E. Hygge, or something like that, which describes the cozy, cuddly feeling we have when curling up in an oversized chair in front of a fire while sipping hot chocolate. Some lists include new words that haven't made their way into the dictionary yet. Mindramp has its own neologism, the word qualongevity, which we created all the way back in 2009. It describes the ability to live long and to maintain a high level of quality of life. Longevity plus quality of life. Another neologism that caught my fancy is the word bedgasm the ecstatic feeling we have when we can finally lay down in our own bed after a long and arduous day. Oh, man, that feels good. I'm having a bedgasm. Which brings me back to our road trip through the geological wonders of the western Rocky Mountains. In southern Utah, the scenery becomes consistently stunning and spectacular. Every curve reveals new displays of natural splendor. Bare rock faces, dramatic gorges, forested peaks, expansive mountain ranges. Every crest reveals a new jaw-dropping vista. The magnificence of the landscape inspired the poet in me. At every new wonder, I expressed my awe with well-crafted phrases like, Oh, wow! Holy crap! Holy moly! Or more frequently, I simply moaned in, in an ecstatic, Ooh! Oh! My wife, remembering the neologism bedgasm and wanting to encourage the development of my emotional granularity, remarked that I was having oogasms. <laughs> I like that. That was good. Oogasms. But even better we soon realized that we were sharing something a bit deeper. Orgasms. The spectacular scenery evoked ecstatic feelings of awe and wonder that resulted in uncontrolled verbal eruptions of oohs and ahs. When describing our vacation to friends, we tell them we shared... Twelve Amazing Days of Multiple Orgasms. I love that new word. But there is still 
more granularity to be explored in the feeling of awe. Awe has multiple meanings. It is defined as a reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder. Now, fear and wonder are two very different feelings. The orgasm I had in, say, Zion and Bryce Canyons were of the wonder kind. The majestic cliffs and kaleidoscopic hues have a grandeur and magnificence that's humbling and inspiring. They evoke a reverential amazement about the beauty and diversity of the natural world. Later in the trip, I also experienced the fear side of awe, as we stood at the unprotected rim of Bryce Canyon and stared past the iconic hoodoos down in the valley floor, hundreds of feet below. There are no guardrails, no fences to prevent little children or selfie-taking teenagers from disappearing over the edge. I, I obviously don't do well with heights. makes me nervous. For me, the awe inspired by Bryce Canyon included elements of anxiety, trepidation, disquietude, apprehension, and outright fear. Wonder and fear mixed again when our friend Madeline, who is a world-class rock climber, took us to one of her favorite climbing spots, the Black Canyon of the Gunnison River in Colorado. Black Canyon's painted wall is the tallest cliff in Colorado, stretching 2,250 feet from river to rim. Only El Capitan in Yosemite and Notch Peak in Utah are taller. As we watched the sun set, the black granite and schist rock face grew dark, ominous and foreboding. There's a kind of primal sense of magnetic power in the dark, shadowy rocks that's unsettling to a city dweller like myself. And then the thought of our rock climbing friend Madeline climbing that sheer rock wall Oh, it evokes in me a feeling of nausea. Get it? N-A-W-E-S-E-A, gnaw, stressing awe, the awe aspect of nausea. Now, well, anyway, admittedly, nausea isn't as good as orgasm, but the word does advance the granularity of my emotional vocabulary anyway. It, it describes the specific nature of my awe, in this case, coupled with anxiety, queasiness, vertigo, and squeamishness. There's a growing interest in the emotion of awe among psychologists. Dr. Keltner, who's a psychologist at the University of California, Berkeley, believes that awe, like joy, contentment, and love, is critical to our sense of well-being. Feelings of awe, even the somewhat scary kind, seem to have a calming effect on our nervous system. Awe reduces feelings of stress. The stress reduction can be tracked physiologically. Awe, for example, activates the vagus nerves, the complex tangle of nerves that connects our brain with our vital organs, regulating their activity. Vagal nerve activation can regulate the rate at which we breathe and the rate at which our heart beats. Awe increases the release of oxytocin, which has been dubbed the love hormone because it promotes love and bonding between mother and child and among mates. Awe also has the psychological benefit of releasing us from obsessive preoccupation with ourselves and with our myriad complaints. 
all seems to deactivate the default mode network in the brain, which is the network of brain modules that focuses on self-reflection. When we turn down our focus on our individual self, our individual self-interests, we open ourselves to contemplation of the deeper meaning of existence. In his new book, Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life, Keltner defines awe like this. Quote, awe is the feeling of being in the presence of something vast that transcends your understanding of the world. End quote. From the hemisphere perspective, I suspect that awe diminishes the influence of the self-centered, conceptual world of the left hemisphere and gets us into more intimate touch with our right hemisphere. It's the right hemisphere, after all, that sees the big picture, the full gestalt of unified existence. It's the right hemisphere that strives to find unity among all the myriad aspects of experience. The left hemisphere is much more concerned with our individual egos, with protecting our concepts of self. So it feels good to be liberated from this navel-gazing and introspection and to be merged with the endless expanse of the awesome universe. To be awesome means, to a large extent, to be beyond our comprehension, beyond the capabilities of our normal ways of understanding. Again, I think this means that the awesome is totally mysterious to our left hemisphere. The grandeur, the magnificence, the sheer scope and breadth of the awesome is not accounted for in the limited schema that the left hemisphere has devised to make sense of the world. Incapable of getting a grasp on the awesome, the left hemisphere gives up the attempt and lets the right hemisphere take over, which is what we want. The right hemisphere may do no better job of making sense of the awesome, but it at least understands that making sense is not really the point. Or rather, the right hemisphere recognizes that the mystery is the point. Transcendence, revelation, and bliss involve a kind of surrender to and merging with the vast and wonderful mysteries of life. Awe is humbling. The left hemisphere is not the humble side of our mind. The left hemisphere wants to control and exploit and sees itself, whatever self-image it has created, as the center of the universe. Awe undermines this egocentrism. The left hemisphere is intimidated by the complexity and nature and is overwhelmed by the vastness of existence. The right hemisphere, on the other hand, is humble by nature. It is the right hemisphere that is moved and enraptured by awe. Awe brings us back in touch with our right hemisphere and helps us regain the kind of balance we seek between the two hemispheres of our mind. Fortunately, awe is available to anyone, anytime, as long as we know how to look for it. The Grand Canyon is awesome, obviously, but you don't have to travel to see natural wonders to experience awe. There is awe to be found in all aspects of nature, in the very miracle of life. There is awe to be found in the boundless creativity, inventiveness, and goodness of people. A number of experts on awe stress the importance of focus. Keltner goes so far as to say that focus is, quote, essential for achieving awe, end quote. 
The mindfulness teacher Susan Salzberg suggests that distraction, the tendency of our attention to wander or to be pulled in a hundred different directions, is the enemy of awe. We cultivate awe through interest and curiosity, she says in a New York Times article that was authored by Hope Reese. And if we're distracted too much, she continues, we're not really paying attention, end quote. When we can really slow down and unclutter our minds, the sheer wonder of normal existence begins to reveal itself. So one benefit of mindfulness training is that we enhance our ability to experience orgasms. So this awe business is good for our health and good for our state of mind. To achieve qual longevity, we ought to indulge in as many orgasm activities and experiences as we can. We should strive to indulge in the ecstasy of daily orgasms. So when you're sitting there quietly meditating, no one will suspect how much fun you are having tripping on existence. All right, enough of this bliss talk. The points I wanted to make in this podcast are that Rather obviously, our emotional state, our affect, and our emotions have a profound effect on our ability to feel happiness. I'll address the difference between affect and emotions in an upcoming podcast, by the way. So the second point, as emotions expert Lisa Feldman Barrett suggests, we can become much more emotionally literate and gain much more control over our emotions if we practice emotional granularity. This means going beyond simple, blunt-hammer descriptions of basic emotions, happy, sad, angry. We need to develop a more robust and nuanced vocabulary to describe the vast array of emotions that are available to us. Think about the subtle differences between, say, annoyance and frustration, or between pleased and blissful. The more you appreciate the subtleties of emotions, the better you will be able to understand and communicate your emotions and the emotions of others, and the better you will be able to control how you feel. Finally, while you are in the process of managing your emotions, do your best to stimulate the emotions of wonder and awe. You will be healthier, you will be happier, and your life will become more orgastic. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining me on this journey of discovery. It's nice to have the company. By the way, you can now support my work by opting to subscribe to the MindRamp podcast. Totally optional, of course, but if you find value in these podcasts, you can return the favor by subscribing. Just go to the MindRamp podcast website at https mindrampodcast.com podcast, all one word, dot buzzsprout, B-U-Z-Z-S-P-R-O-U-T dot com. And you can also get there from our website at www.mindramp.org. Okay, till next time, here's hoping you live long and live well. (laughs) 